0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. So glad that you're here with us this morning and encouraged us to be able to worship Christ with you and lift up the name of Jesus together. We're going to continue to do that uh, from his word uh, this morning. I know kids, it's normally at this part of the worship service where uh, we show you a fun story and kind of connect the scripture with, uh, with the message this morning. Hold on, okay. The, me- the The video is coming. The story is going to be there. It's just going to be in the middle of the message this morning. So, if you are a kid and uh, you haven't gotten one of those uh, sets of notes yet from the back, send your parent back there to pick up one of those packs and uh, get a set of notes out. I'll have something for you after the service if you fill that out and come and show it to me uh, as well. I'd love to encourage you with that. And uh, we're just going to track in together. If you're an adult here this morning, you can follow along with the uh, kids' note sheet too. And there's actually a narwhal on the back if you want to color that. But uh, it's a lot of fun. We're glad, <laughs> just glad to be able to open the word. Why don't you open up your Bible, if you have one with you, this morning to Psalm 67. That's where we're at this morning. We're in this series called Built for More, and uh, we are going to actually conclude the series this morning in that regard, but uh, we're going to conclude it with Psalm 67. So if you would, open up God's word to Psalm 67. If you'd stand with me, let me read the scripture for us, and then I'd be happy to pray, and we'll uh, jump in together. This is to the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. So let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, so let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord we uh, we thank you this morning for your word that you have spoken for us that you have shown us mercy and grace and your kindness in Christ and as we come to you this morning to your word lord would you help us to see the purpose for which you have built the church for the praise of your glory and for the good of the nations lord as we see this in your word today as we hear this in our ears and in our minds may it seep down into our hearts, and Lord, might our faith be accompanied with obedience in action. Might we love your mission and your purposes and worship you with all that we have. So help us now, Lord, as we hear your word. Give us grace. Speak to us in this time, and we ask this as we declare to you we are humbly listening and we are ready. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. And you can be seated. Well, the title of the message this morning is Blessed for the Nations. And you can probably guess just from the psalm itself that the psalmist here has a lot to say about the nations and God's work and power in and among the nations. I wonder if you've ever had something in your home or in your life that has had a lot of power, it's had a lot of potential, and yet somehow or another you have underutilized it often. Like you've never seen it reach its full potential and power in your own life. I've always enjoyed or at least had the, uh, the dream and the idea of owning a supercar. You know, one of those Italian makes that has, you know, Ghini on the back of it, you know, Ferrari, Lamborghini, something like that. I've always thought that would be incredible to own one of those, or at least, at least have one to drive for a season. But then it's always kind of hit me that even if I had one, and I, and I try and respect the law when it comes to driving as best as I can, even if I had one, I would never be able to like fully unleash it. You know, I never really, unless I went to some track somewhere, I'd never really be able to out on the, uh, you know, 275, just put the pedal to the metal and let that thing get up to the 200 miles per hour that it's promised. It'd be fun, but it, it would be limited. It would be underpowered. It wouldn't be the experience that I would hope for it to be. Do you have things like that in your life? We we uh, at our home uh, within the last year or so, we decided to go all in uh, and buy one of those super power blenders. You know uh, that uh, I think it's the Ninja brand, and those things are advertised to blend just about anything, and not just you know not just throw in the ice cream and the yogurt to make a milkshake, but you know like they can handle the workhorse power of blending like your cell phone. You know if you just wanted to th- toss that in there, there's YouTube videos by the way that you can go and see them doing that, and, uh, and we got one of those things powered machine and and what do we use it for? Fruit, bananas, strawberries. Like it doesn't, like we've got an overpowered device that we underutilize and it's power. I I don't know if it's often, but there are occasions when things or even people that have great potential in our lives and even have great purposes in our lives are underutilized completely. I think the church is actually one of those entities that has great power, incredible purpose and direction, and oftentimes we as the people of God underutilize or we don't really lean into the horsepower, if you, can, if you will, of what God has called the church to be. We've been talking in this series called Built for More about the purpose of the church beyond the weekend. What's our, what's our reason for existence? What should we be about outside the four walls of this room and this building beyond a Sunday morning? And we've we've affirmed, we can affirm that the church has been built for being a body unified together in Christ to experience his blessing and his goodness on us. And, and I would say every one of us would affirm that and say, yes, I want unity and I want to experience the togetherness of the church. I have family here. I, I, we are a family and that's that's something we affirm and love. Last week we affirmed and we could all say together that the church is built for the protection of one another, that we exist to be for each other to face our fears, when those worst-case scenarios drop in our minds and our hearts, God has put us together to be able to speak the good news of Christ's love, the good news of the gospel to one another, the good news of growth in Jesus together. And we would all affirm and say, yes, the protection of one another spiritually is a great purpose for the church beyond these walls. But I think if we just leave it there in those two categories of of togetherness and, and protection, we're missing a fundamental movement that God has called us to as the church. We, we, by our neglect or our ignorance or just our apathy, dismiss the reality that the church is built of something greater and for something greater. We're not just to be a people that enjoy hanging out together in some sort of social club and love to protect and be together in that, but we have a greater purpose. We have, if I could say it this way, a greater mission and we're often neglecting that. We've gotten the idea that the church is for God, we're existing to glorify him, and that's right and true, and it's for us, but I think in many ways we've forgotten that the church exists and is built for the good of the nations, the world. That we exist for the glory of God in all the nations. And we might say, well, maybe it's a messaging issue, maybe we just don't have the message downright and we're kind of timid when it comes to actually sharing with people the truth of Jesus. The gospel is very simple. It's that you're a sinner and that God has loved you and he has sent his son to die in your place to forgive you of your sins and that if you would turn in faith away from the things of this world to Christ and believe in him, you'll be rescued and reconciled. So it's not really a messaging issue. We might say, well, maybe it's a power issue. We don't have the resources, we don't have the the energy. Well, Jesus gave us the command But he also gave us the power. He supplied with us the power to be about the mission. Consider Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Is it a power issue? Jesus says, I have all authority, and I'm with you to the end? Oh, well, no, it's not. It's not at all. Or consider the way he talks about it in Luke chapter, or I'm sorry, Luke talks about it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So it's not a messaging issue. It's not a power problem. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit with us, empowering us, and Jesus' authority and his presence with us and behind us for the mission, I think it comes down to an obedience issue. Will we really obey Jesus at his word and be people of good news on mission, declaring the gospel to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to the ends of the earth? As we close this series, called Built for More, I want us to see this morning that God's agenda and his plan has always been for the good of the whole world. His agenda has always been for the good of all nations, and we have a responsibility to enact that mission. We have a calling to take the gospel to the nations. Here's the big idea, kids, if you're following along, it's this, is that God blesses his people for the good of the nations, God bestows and shows his kindness and mercy and grace and blessing upon his people, the church, in order that we would break out of these four walls and take the goodness and grace and mercy of God to those people that are struggling and suffering and lost and needy and desperate for Jesus. God blesses his people for the good of the nations. And I want to show us this morning from this psalm, as we've been looking in the psalms this summer, I want to show us how God's blessing will fall upon us for the blessing of all the nations, and three actions that you and I can undertake, three actions that we can step into to keep us from underutilizing the power of the gospel in and through the church. So let's dive into Psalm 67 this morning in these three ways. Psalm 67 has a unique structure to it. It's not really apparent, at least uh, to, uh, to us on the face of the psalm, but it has what's called a chiastic structure, and now I know you're going, what does that mean? Just consider a chiastic structure half of an X. If you took the letter X and you just cut it from the top down to the bottom, you would kind of see, uh, you know, a greater or less than sign. This beginning few verses of the psalm and the bottom few verses of the psalm parallel each other. So what they say there mirrors one another. And then you go in just another layer and those two verses, that'll be verse three and five, those verses mirror and parallel one another. And then the center... Verse 4 is the point that the writer of the psalm is driving towards. This is a, a common practice in Hebrew uh, scriptures, that they would have a chiastic structure, this Z, this half X structure, to get us to focus in on a point, to clarify that. So you're going to see as I work through this psalm, I'm going to work at it from the ends into the middle, uh, not just in a verses 1 through 7 kind of way there. But let's, let me take you into these three points. So we see and we have focus on really the emphasis of this entire psalm. The first action that we would undertake so that we would not underutilize the power that God has given the church and that he's called us to is that we would pray for God's blessing for the nations. That's number one, that we would pray for God's blessing for the nations. Here's what the psalmist says. He begins this psalm with a prayer. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Man, that's, that's good stuff, right? Like that's a, that's a great prayer. That's something that we would want to hear and pray for our own lives. God, would you, would you be gracious to us? Would you be gracious to me and merciful to me and bless me, and make your face shine upon me? And it's not just individualized here, but this is, this is extended broader. Like God, would you be gracious to us as a people, as a church? Would, would we know your mercy and kindness among us? Would we experience your blessing upon us? Would it be like your face and your smile just radiating down upon us? Well, psalmist isn't just making this up. He, he actually has picked this up from Numbers 24. This is the Aaronic blessing, the blessing of Aaron over the people of Israel to help them see the blessing of God. It's something we, we pray for and we bless one another. God, would you be gracious to us? Like, could we see and know that in Christ you have loved us? In Christ you have sent your Son for us and that your smile is upon us. Would you cause us to be fruitful? Would you cause us to flourish and to prosper and to multiply? Would we have the smile of God upon us? And I think that that's something that every Christian would long for and pray for. It's something we would desire deeply to not... to, To have the blessing and the beauty and smile of God upon our lives. But notice here the psalmist doesn't just stop and say, God bless us so that we are rich and healthy and happy and wise. He has a trajectory about why he would pray that. And as the psalmist speaks about God's blessing here, he's not speaking of it in some sort of prosperity, gospel-oriented way where we just get God and then he makes us healthy, wealthy, and wise, and and that's all the end for it is. No, he's he's praying about spiritual blessing. He's praying about, God, would you shape my heart, my soul, and my life, and all that I am with your grace and blessing for a point or a purpose? What is that purpose? Verse 2, that your way may be known in all the earth your saving power among all the nations. I mean, just consider the profound reality of that. God, would you bless us in such a deep way that as the world looks on, as we go to the nations, as we go to our neighbors, that they would see your grace, that they would know your way, that they would see who you are, how you have rescued us, how you've called us to live, that they would experience and see you save people. You rescue them from their sins. You are a God full of grace and power and your saving power would be known among all the nations. Here the trajectory of asking for God's blessing isn't so that it just makes me feel good or makes you feel good and get along with life. It's a blessing to bless others. It fits in with what God's purposes from day one have been for the nations. In Genesis chapter 12, God promise to Abraham to make him a great nation, to bless him and to cause him to multiply. Why? Not so that Abraham could just be rich and just, you know, opulent in his lifestyle and live just a comfortable life of luxury. God was blessing Abraham, and God said this to Abraham in order to bless the nations, to bless the entire world. It's been God's agenda. His mission is to cause us, bring us into his family to experience his blessing and kindness Across the globe. So when we pray this, we're saying, God, rescue us, save us, be kind to us, show us your mercy and grace so that others are watch, as others are watching in and as we're sharing life with them, they might see who you are. And when you think about it, how do people see God's saving power? Well, they see us go through affliction and God, rescue us. They see God's name and they know his name when his people worship him and devote their lives to him and follow him. Here's this, this way of God working to show, who off, to show off who he is through his people in the world. The connection there at the bottom of the psalm in verses 6 and 7 fits with the top. The psalmist lays out a statement here. The earth has yielded its increase. He's thinking about the nature of agriculture In the springtime, they go out and they plant a crop. And the rains come and the spring moves on into summer and the the crop grows and it begins to, to flourish and become fruitful. And the harvest comes along in the fall and they harvest what's been sown. And there's a great increase. He says, that's what happens in the earth. The earth has yielded its increase and here's the promise, God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us. I mean, that's a, that's a stern, marked guarantee. God will bless us, but not just to bless us for the sake of us being comfortable and living in luxury. God will bless us so that, end of verse 7, all the ends of the earth will fear him. God loves to delight and work and save and rescue his people, to pour out his grace among his children so that the ends of the earth would see and they would fear him. And so what do we do? This is a call for us to pray. It's a call for us to pray and say, God, bless us, work within us, save us, strengthen us, help us so that your ways may be known. So that your saving power might be experienced. When I, distinct, when I think about this, I think about the distinction between a reservoir and a river, Uh, A reservoir is a place where the waters have been dammed up. There's some way in which it's been barricaded, and the waters are held up, and the reservoir just increases in its capacity to hold water, but it stays restrained. The water is poured out in limited capacity and limited places. Uh, One of the most famous reservoirs I know of in our country is the Hetch Hetchy Reservoir near Yosemite National Park. It was a beautiful valley. John Muir, who, who popularized Yosemite, he talked about Hetch Hetchy as one of the most beautiful valleys, maybe even rivaling Yosemite Valley itself. And there came a point when the people in San Francisco were like, hey, we'd like some nice mountain water. And so what'd they do? They dammed up the Hetch Hetchy Valley, the water filled up, and now that beautiful, glorious valley is flooded with water. It's just a reservoir. And the water and the experience of that valley only goes to the people in San Francisco. Nothing against them, it's great water. But the reservoir locks it all in and restrains it. Whereas a river, on the other hand, the water flows. It streams out. There's, there's nothing but gravity that's moving it from the mountaintops down to those who need it. You think about the mighty Mississippi River or the Missouri River, or anything west or in the West flowing down the Ohio River, it's all flowing down in the ocean, and peoples are benefiting from it. What are we as a church? Are we just a reservoir that we're just going to bottle up the blessings of God and enjoy them among ourselves? and and dispense them out to those who are in need in limited capacities or in limited ways, are we gonna say, God, you are sovereign over the banks of our river, so let it flow. Just bring your blessing upon us and let it go to anybody and everybody. We're not gonna hold it up. We're not gonna restrain it. We're just gonna disperse your kindness and refreshment to the world. That's what we as people must do and pray. God's mission is moving forward. That's a reality that can't be stopped. If you, if you read the scriptures just in a quick reading, you'll see that God's ambition and his mission is for all peoples and all nations. Malachi one eleven: from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. Not just Israel, my name will be great among the nations and in every place, incense will be, worship will be offered to my name. For my name, God says, will be great among the nations. Or you go to the end of the book, you go to Revelation chapter 5, as the elders sing over the Lord and over the Lamb who was slain, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. You see, the blessing of God is for all people. The gospel is to go to all nations. So if we're gonna align with God, if we're gonna be with him in his great mission, we should pray to that end. God bless us, be gracious to us, so we can be that river of blessing to the ends of the earth. To our neighbors across the street and next door, and to the people who are unreached, in far and remote places, in Bangladesh and India and China all over the world in places where there is no gospel message, where there is no name of Jesus proclaimed, the gospel will go global. Are we going to be on that team? Are we going to be a part of that mission? So we pray for missions. That's why every Sunday morning as we pray together as a church family at the end of the service, we've been bringing forward the names of Woodside missionaries to pray for them. I hope you take note of those names and you begin to pray for them. I hope you have people in your lives, you know people in your lives that are overseas missionaries that you're praying for, perhaps that you're serving. We also give towards missions. We don't just talk about it, but we put our, our money where our mouth is and we say we're gonna send and financially support those who are taking the gospel overseas. I wanna encourage you that nearly 70 cents for every dollar, so if you give one dollar to Woodside Bible Church, nearly 70 cents of every dollar given to our church goes to support personnel in gospel ministry here and around the world. That's what God does with your offering. Just uses it to support and to fund and supply people working in mission. Our budget as a church is built with mission in mind. If anything, in this new fiscal year, instead of decreasing our giving to missions, we felt so important, we felt that it's so important that we've actually, as a campus, increased our budget in giving to missions, global missions, from our campus, and even had to cut and and, uh, trim down areas of expenses that we could say, you know what, we don't need that as much. We can give it to missions. We're growing in that direction Giving is a means of blessing and it's a means of prayer, saying, Lord, here's our stuff. Here's the blessings that you've bestowed on us, even financially. Let it be a river of blessing to the world. So we pray and we give. The second thing that we can do, the second action that we must enact in order to not underutilize the mission of the church, of God's purposes for us, is to call for God's praise among the nations. It's to call people to come to Christ, to turn from their sins and to embrace Jesus as their savior. Look with me at verses three and five. So in this structure here, verses three and five, parallel one another. They're the exact same thing. So I'm gonna read it twice, but it's good to hear this refrain. This is like the chorus in the song. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Here's this cry out. It's outward facing and saying to the nations, praise the Lord, worship him, develop and devote yourselves to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Let the peoples praise you. And again, it's not just a limited scope, not just these little people in the United States of America, not just this little group of people that have this color of skin, but all the peoples praise you. Let them all lift up your name. Well, how do they know that? How do, they, how do we call them to praise the Lord? Missions is about worship. Missions is about taking the good news of Jesus Christ and his life and death and resurrection to people who don't believe Jesus and who are far from Jesus so that their hearts would be turned in order to worship Jesus. I like the way that John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, says it. He puts it this way. He says, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It's a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions It's the goal of missions because in missions, we simply aim to bring the nations into white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of missions is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. Friends, the day is coming when, as Paul talks about in Philippians chapter two, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And they will do that today humbly and willingly by repenting and turning to Jesus as Savior and Lord and experience his kindness and blessing. Or on that last day, their knees will be broken down. Their tongue will be loose, and they will confess what they have restrained themselves from confessing their entire lives. But every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So today we're working to call people to humbly come to Christ now And enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of man, right? We were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so the psalmist says, let let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. It raises the question, who are you going to talk about? Who are you going to tell about Jesus? Jesus. Because this isn't some sort of abstract, you know, hey, missionaries, quote-unquote, out there, they do the evangelism stuff. You know, the church does it. It's us. It's all of us here. We're called to that. I want to share with you, uh, particularly kids here, tune in now if you haven't been. I want to share with you this story of someone who obeyed God's voice and went overseas to love people and share the good news with them. Let's turn to the screen here and just catch the story.
1: Amy Carmichael grew up in Northern Ireland uh, in a Protestant family, and it was a little place called Mill Isle. In my day, Mill Isle was a little old-world village of
2: whitewashed cottages on the shore of the Irish Sea. It was as a teenager that her life would be forever changed.
1: It was a dull Sunday morning in a street in Belfast. I was returning from church when I met a poor, pathetic old woman and moved by sudden pity I took her by her arms as though they had been handles, and helped her along. But just as we passed a fountain, this mighty phrase was suddenly flashed, as it were, through the grey drizzle, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, if any man's work abide. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. The blinding flash had come and gone. I said nothing to anyone, but I knew that something had happened, that had changed life's values.
2: Amy was transformed. She dedicated the rest of her life to serving others. Amy felt called to missions.
1: He said to me, go. It seems to me that all he asks is that we should take the one step he shows us and in simplest, most practical trust, leave all results for him. So she was sent back to England, then eventually went to India.
2: Amy had originally come to India to evangelize, but God had a different plan for her.
1: While she was there, she heard of a custom which meant that little girl babies could be dedicated to temples, and later these children became called prostitutes. Omar felt that as she had discovered this situation, that God had called her to rescue as many children as possible from that kind of danger.
2: A little girl runs for her life, for freedom. She escapes a temple house where girls are enslaved. The little girl begs a village woman to take her to an Irish Christian missionary.
1: I was sitting in the veranda when she saw me, she ran straight up to me. My name is Prina, the child began, and I want to stay here always. I have come to stay.
2: In her native tongue of Tamil, Prina calls Amy Carmichael Amma, the Tamil word for mother. Amy, Ama, Prina will be her first child. Ama will be her name forever. Over the next 50 years, Amy will be Ama to thousands of Indian children. Even today, more than 50 years after her death, Amma's children remember.
1: She was a mother of every nation. She was a good mother. She was very soft with us. Very loving and kind and mother.
0: When you think about that, what's God calling you to? My prayer even this morning is that some of you would hear that call to go overseas that God would use that story and just maybe spark your imagination? How would God use you? How does God use us as a church? He sent us, not just to be a people that enjoy the comforts of this room and the the pleasure of being together with one another, but he sends us on mission. There, There are neighbors, there are coworkers. there are family members even among us who need Christ. We're called to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We're called to be ministers, all of us, to be evangelists, to share the good news. So we call to every person to put their hope in Christ, not in this world, and to trust Him. The saying is out there you know, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I think that's like saying to someone, eat dinner, and if necessary, use food. The gospel is a gospel message. There are words that must be spoken. Christ has come and he has died for you. He's been raised to life again, so trust him. We must go with compassion and love and the word of God to declare. This calls us to personal mission in our own lives, mission in our life groups, even to engage in world missions, to go to the far and remote places of the world where the name of Jesus has not been declared and to say we have a great savior and a great hope. We're called to pray for the blessing of God, for the nations to to call, to evangelize, to share, to say something. Say something about God, of Christ, for the praise of the nations. Thirdly, we're to celebrate God's rule over the nations. This is the third action that we undertake as a people. Here's the center of the psalm, right at the middle here, the driving emphasis. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Here here the psalmist is inviting the nations, he's inviting all of us, he's inviting the world into a party, into joy, into, into celebration and joy. He, he's, he's helping us see that God isn't, uh, God isn't one to destroy our joy. He's not out there to make us unhappy and miserable for our lives. God is fundamentally aimed at our happiness and joy. He longs for us to be happy in what makes us ultimately happy, Him. Not the, the trinkets of this world, but ultimate happiness and ultimate gladness in Him, Himself. But where do we find that ultimate joy and happiness? It's under the rule and reign and leadership of Christ. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? Why should we sing for joy? Why should we be glad? Because if we are under and in Christ, he judges and leads with equity. Justice is his name. He he brings justice to all things. He will make all things right. He guides the nations upon the earth. It speaks of his righteous rule and leadership for us. Outside and apart from Christ, everything, every government, every system is all chaos to us. It's lacking equity, it's lacking justice, it's lacking leadership. But under Christ, under his sovereign rule and reign, we find joy and gladness. So missions is calling people to Christ. It's saying Jesus is the only Savior, he's the only King, and if you come and you submit your life to him, you will find fullness of joy and gladness And he will lead you in justice and equity and righteousness forever and ever. Oh, and he's coming to do that for all the nations forever. The last day reminds us that Christ will come again. He will make all things new and all things right. There will be no more tears. There will be no more death. Sin will be fully squashed underfoot. Satan will be done with. Christ making all things new will redeem and restore fully his people, justice and equity. That's what's coming. But today, we can begin that party. We look at this and we go, oh, that's a great celebration down the road. I can't wait for that day. But Christ invites us into that celebration now. We we as Christians, we love, and we say it oftentimes kind of cliche among us, that when someone comes to Christ, the angels in heaven celebrate and worship it's in the Bible, so we, we affirm that. We're like, yeah, there's, the angels are throwing a party for someone who's come to Christ today. But the parties begin now as we declare the gospel. And think about the grand party that will take forever to, to, to have as we are all gathered under Christ together. He doesn't do this for just a select nation, a select people group, a select language or skin color Christ is doing this for all nations, in all nations, to all nations. Can you imagine what that will be like? Let's lean into starting the party today. Jesus has come to do this. This is what he came to do. We've made a mess of this world. Our sin, our rebellion, our selfishness, it's destroyed the world. We see the effects of it all the time. It's there. But Jesus has come into that chaos, come for us to bring peace and justice and equity and righteousness and healing. And he did that not through taking up power, but through laying down his life. Not through quashing his enemies with a sword, but with going to execution himself and shedding his blood. He has laid down his life for us and defeated our greatest foes of Satan, sin, and death so that everyone who turns to him will be saved and will live under his righteous, glorious, just, perfect, happy reign forever and ever. Christians, this is a call for us to celebrate Christ as king, to call other people to Christ as king. Not to to put our hope in elected officials, they'll disappoint us. Not to to look at the world's systems and governments and say, that'll make it all right and better. They'll let us down. We put our hope in Christ. And we see the gospel go everywhere. We wave the flag of Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised. And the only one who can transform us. And we make him the center of our celebrations and our life forevermore. Friends, I wonder if we're underutilizing the power of God that we have within us as a church. If we're we're disobeying Christ by saying, hey, we're for unity, we're for togetherness and protection, but if the pagan wants to get saved, he'll figure it out. I don't have anything to do with that. Christ has built his church to be on mission. Not to be some cozy social club and enjoy our own benefits and our own comfort. We are called to radically go with the life-saving good news of Christ under and in the power of the Holy Spirit, under the authority of Jesus and his presence with us, to declare to every man, woman, boy, and girl, the globe across, that Jesus is our only Savior and Lord. It's to take up the reminder of the children's song, Jesus loves the little children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Do we care? Will we be compassionate? Will we be obedient? For truly the church we're called to be, if we're built for more than just hanging out on the weekends, then we'll go out. We'll reach out. We'll go across the street to our neighbors. We'll go to our coworkers. We'll take the gospel. We'll pray the gospel to the ends of the earth. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Every Christian is a sender, sending people to go, They're a goer themselves, or they're disobedient. So who are you? Who are we? Let's be a part of the mission of God to the ends of the earth for the glory of God and for our joy forever. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have not abandoned us, you haven't left us on our own, but you sent us to us your good news. You sent Christ to us. You sent people to come and proclaim Jesus to us that we might believe, that we might be rescued and saved. So Lord, let us not be a reservoir that's enjoying the benefits of your grace and and holding it back and just in small and insignificant ways leaking it out to others, but Lord, make us a mighty river of blessing to this community. Move us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit away from our apathy and into obedience. Give us grace, Father. May your face shine upon us that your way may be known and your saving power might be experienced among all nations and all peoples. We believe that we are built for more because your word has said that. So, Lord, we repent of our apathy and our sin and we ask for the power of your spirit to lead us and to help us. For your glory, we pray, and for our good, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.